You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Uh, this morning's message, I've entitled it, Believe It and You Can Achieve It. It's a simple truth. I'm just going to share a simple truth today with some depth to it. But I believe that one of the problems we have in the church is sometimes we go out and try to achieve something before we believe we can achieve it. We just, well, I'll just try it. Think about your marriage, what it would be like if you say, I just want to try getting married. I don't want you to try anything. I want you to believe you can do it before you begin the pursuit of achieving it. And many of you have dreams and visions and things in your life that God wants you to do, and you have to get established on you actually believe I can do this. I believe I can fulfill this business calling in my life. I can fulfill this marriage calling in my life. I can... I can step into this place that God you've called me to do and I believe I can do it. That's what God's looking for so that your life will be infused by the supernatural and the power of God. And so let's take a look at that from Scripture. Look with me, if you would, in Ephesians 2, 4, and 6. And if you have your Bible, you can look on as well. But look at what this text says. It's talking about after you believe on Christ. Look at the position that we're in. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to see it is describing to us what occurs when you believe in Christ. Your position changes. Before you met Christ, everything wasn't, how do I say it? Everything was above you. But as soon as you come to Christ, there's a spiritual ascension that happens because you share in the resurrection of Christ and God puts your faith in a place where everything, now I say everything, is under your feet. We know last week we talked about the last enemy put under our feet is physical death, which occurs in the rapture, but it's still from the faith of God's people. But the point I want you to see is that you're in a position of faith where everything's below you. Your, the lack is below you. The illness is below you. The marriage problem is below you. The demonic oppression is below you. The fatigue is below you. The difficulty is below you. And when you understand that, it changes your whole perspective because you realize that it's up to me what I permit or not permit. And I want to encourage a lot of you, believing is really simple. Just believe you have it before you see it and keep that in your heart. You may not feel it, you may not see it, but just keep it, keep it in your heart. I believe, I receive it. And when you do that, you won't permit some things in your life. You won't permit your life to end up in lack and, and, and that place where you're in despair. You won't allow that. You won't permit that. You'll rise up above that. And I think it's important because it's one thing to teach people the power of the tongue. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. That's one thing to teach people. It's another thing to teach them what their faith is like after they believe in Christ. It is far above all principalities and powers, far above the economy, far above the income, 
far above the diseases, far above that. And you need to have that in your heart so that you know that when you're in your troubles, you can believe you receive and hold on to it until it is manifested in your life. Say it with me. I'm above and not beneath. Let me describe to you, there's two kinds of people. There's what I call basement dwellers and there's balcony people. Basement dwellers are those that are bottom feeders. They're people that are very critical. They're very judgmental. And the way that they feel good about themselves is by finding something wrong in your life. Now, that's someone else, obviously not no one in this church. This is for a completely different, different crowd. But how many know they're out there? Amen. And then you got the balcony people, and that's the people you are. The balcony people are those who have accepted Christ and God has exalted them. And what they do is they go around and try to build people up. They try to tell people, you can do that. Don't let anyone say you can't. Oh, I don't have the education. No, you can do it because you have the mind of Christ. I don't have the strength. God said that he give you his strength. And we begin to build people up. And that's what I'm doing this morning. Because when faith begins to arise to the place of dominion, we become balcony people. We tell our kids, you can do it. I don't care what it looks like. You can go to any university in the world that you want to. God can provide the needs. You just need some faith and God will cause it to happen in your life. Amen. I'm going to want to be the balcony people. Come on, give God praise. When you're a balcony person, you can really minister to your wife in a great way. When she's feeling low about herself or whatever, you can build her up and say, hey, baby, you're gorgeous. You're out of this world. You are off the chart. You are the apple of my eye. You are so adorable. Okay, right on, Prisca. Okay, look with me over to 1 John chapter 1, and I want to read you a set of verses and explain to you the position that we're in. Because once you know the position that you're in, you'll realize you can get favor and grace from God anytime that you need it. You don't have to be at a certain level in obedience, a certain level in following God or being mature to receive from God. God leaves his door open. Look at the verse. This is the message which we have heard from the beginning from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. How many know if you study the Bible at all, it tells us that you are in Christ? How many have heard that? Notice it says there's no darkness while you're there. Say amen. In other words, there's no darkness in God when you're there. God's salvation and power is so powerful, he's removed all that darkness. Now let's go on. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Watch this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, this is awesome. This is awesome. I got to define to you for a moment what fellowship is. It's not just eating a lot of food with friends. Fellowship in Scripture here is talking about our union with God. In fact, if you read the previous verses, he talks about how they handled the word of life, Jesus, and how they had partaken of eternal life, which is Jesus. Because when they knew Jesus, they knew the Father. Eternal life isn't just living forever. It is to know the Father and the Son. And they explain that in the beginning. He says, all right, and we want to share this fellowship with you. 
So when the term fellowship is used, it's used in the context of eternal life. How many know you don't get saved one day and the next day not saved? You didn't get saved last Sunday and then Monday you lost it. If you're saved, you're saved. Can you say amen? amen? And so in this passage, when he talks about what it's like to walk in the light, he's talking about to walk in the beliefs or the benefits of the resurrection of Christ. In other words, if we walk in the benefits of the resurrection of Christ, it says here we fellowship with each other, and it says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, I'm saying this because a lot of people think that fellowship is determined by your level of obedience. If I'm good today, I'm fellowshiping with God, but if I'm bad tomorrow, he breaks off fellowship. I'm telling you that God always leaves the door open. In other words, God will never shut the door and say, hey, you really ticked me off. You have no access now until you repent before I will give you grace and mercy. God doesn't do it that. The sacrifice of Jesus provides us an open door all the time in our lives where even when we're screwed up, we can go to God and say, God, I screwed up. I need some help. And God will give you mercy and grace in your life. Amen. Even when you're not perfect, even when you didn't get everything right, even when you cussed on the freeway. <laughs> you know, in the Christian church, sometimes we get the idea that when you get saved, you become almost perfect. The reality is some of you cuss when you lose your temper. The reality is some of you act very worldly at times in your life when you get upset. You know, my wife, I, I, I almost thought she was born with angels waiting to come. She's so sweet. But I've seen her lose her temper. I had this minister one time burn me really bad, and my wife chewed him out. It must have been for 20 minutes. Up and down, that guy was so scared of my wife. Every time we had a convention, he would never show up because my wife was there. <laughs> the point I'm trying to tell you is this. To believe God doesn't mean that you have to become a mature Christian before your faith works. It works when you're a baby Christian. It works when you're struggling with worry. It works when you're struggling with fear. It works in your life wherever you're at because of the sacrifice of Christ. The blood of Jesus is constantly cleansing us of sin in our lives. You don't have to be perfect to believe for healing. You don't have to be perfect to believe for financial increase. You don't have to be perfect to make your marriage better. All you got to do is place your faith in a promise and stand in faith. And we should know that. Look at Rahab the harlot, my goodness. And she was blessed by God and she had some problems. Amen. What about Abraham? He bails on his wife twice and is willing to give her to another man to save his own hide, and he is the father of our faith. What about David? Oh, my goodness. David gets on the, host, on a, on the top of the palace and starts checking out this girl taking a bath. 
Can you say amen? This is for someone else, Pastor. It's not me. I'm just, I got it together, praise God. I know you don't. <laughs> but faith is simple. You believe you have it, and you carry it with you. As long as you have to carry it with you until you see it. You don't believe you have it because you get it. You believe you have it because his word says you do. You don't wait until you see it. You don't wait until you feel it. You don't wait until you experience it. You believe you have it right now. That's what will happen with your redemption. Now, some people have suggested, well, Pastor, I don't agree with you. I think that when it says in the text that he cleanses you from all sin, it's because uh, he's talking here about sins of omission or sins that are hidden in your life. God is cleansing. But all the ones that you're aware of, you're going to have to repent of those before he forgives you. Well, now let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me prove to you that's not true. Two verses. Romans 5, 13 says this. I believe it's 13. He says that sin is never imputed to you when you don't know it's sin. Did you hear that? It's clear. God never puts sin on you until you know it's sin. You may be doing sinful things, but if you don't know it's sin, he doesn't impute it to you. He doesn't charge you for it. Also, James said this. He said, if anyone, uh, he says, if you know to do right and don't do it, it is sin to you. In other words, if I didn't know it was wrong and I was doing it, it's not sin to me. So obviously, hidden sin is never imputed to us when we are not aware of the fact that it's sin. Amen? So in the verse, when it talks about fellowshipping with God, he says the blood of Jesus continually cleanses you from all unrighteousness. When you're walking in the faith in the benefits of the resurrection, it says the blood is continually cleansing you of all sin. If that was talking about perfect obedience, why would you need his blood cleansing you from sin? Huh? I mean, if, you're, if, if, if you are walking in perfect obedience, there would be no need for the blood to be cleansing you because there would be no sin to cleanse you from. No, he's talking about us in real life, real time. The reality is we need to put our faith in the promise. Now, I'm going to make a statement here that may blow your mind. God forgives you the moment you put faith in him. Not the moment you confess your sin, but the moment you put faith in God, the forgiveness of God kicks in. I'll give you three examples. Three examples. Four friends had had their friend. He was on a pallet, crippled. They went up on a roof because they couldn't get in the front door, the side doors, tore it up and let him down before Jesus. The man never asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, and then healed him. Because the Bible says Jesus saw their faith. Hallelujah. Said hallelujah. How about the man that was at the pool, uh, pool waiting for it to be stirred, to be healed? Jesus went to him, and he said this to him. After he had healed him, he said, go sin no more, or something worse will happen to you. So obviously the Lord forgave him or he wouldn't have healed him. The, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this. If any of you are sick among you, and by the way, there were 90,000 people he's talking about. 
He said, call for the elders of the church in there. And he said, the prayer of faith will save the sick. And he says, it will not only save the sick, but if you've committed any sins, they will be forgiven too. In other words, the moment you place faith in Christ, God begins to forgive you. Someone ought to get excited right now. That's how I got saved. I got saved sitting in front of a TV set watching sci-fi and God spoke to me and, and while I was there I, I, the Lord was leading me to him and I, and I didn't get saved because I wrote out a list of everything I did wrong. I never mentioned one thing I was doing wrong and I was doing a lot wrong. I said, Jesus, I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus. I'm going to believe on your name. I want you to run my life. And because of my confession that Jesus is Lord, I was forgiven of all my sins, yet I didn't mention one of those sins because I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. There is great benefits in placing your faith in Christ. What you need to do is realize I just need to believe God's word and if sin's in the way, that'll be forgiven. If it's not, God will still manifest his will and his purpose in my life as long as I believe I receive. And I think one of the reasons that we've had in the church where this has been a problem is people have said, well, what about sowing and reaping? You know, I did this wrong. I did that wrong. I divorced my first wife. You know, I ran off with the piano player at church whatever what about reaping what you sow and I'm glad you brought that up if you reap what you say in a sense of justice what it would simply mean this let's say that you backslid for five years you did whatever you wanted to do you drank you fornicated you whatever five five years then that means that for the next five years you would have to suffer in some measure for the thing that you reaped Say amen, everybody. But the problem is, that is not the right way to interpret. The only time you reap what you sow is when you don't place your faith in Christ. As soon as you place your faith in Christ, God forgives you of all your sins. God redeems the time. God redeems your life. God begins to pour out grace. And you don't end up paying for what you did because you went to him and he cleansed you and he removed it in your life. Oh, man, it's so good. Can you say amen? Praise God. So if you're on your second marriage, third marriage, fourth marriage, or even I had a board member, I think he was on his fifth marriage, God is still able to recover what was lost and to bless your life in a certain way. Now, but you're going to have to exercise faith. If you don't exercise faith, you are going to reap what you sow. But if you go to God and say, Lord, I'm going to believe God for this, man, God will turn things around in your life and he'll bless you in a great way because you receive unmerited favor. You remain grace. You don't receive what you deserve. You receive what Jesus deser deserves and you get blessed abundantly. Now, let me give you an example in scripture so you just don't take my word for it. In the book of Malachi, it talks about the people were not tithing and he said, Bring your tithes and offerings in. But before he said that, he said, you guys have been 
disobeying me ever since your fathers were around. In other words, you've been neglecting this ordinance for 40 years. And it was only in these last 10 years that this judgment of locusts came on these people. And God didn't say, okay, you bring in your tithe and offering today, and in another 40 years, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour a blessing on you so great that you won't have room in it for it. No, the day they did it, the day they did it, God started favoring and pouring grace on their lives. So they didn't reap what they sowed because they got tapped into the blood of Jesus. Amen? Yeah. Or the blood, of, in those days, the blood of the sacrifice, but it's the type of Christ. So I want you to, don't be discouraged because I know everybody makes mistakes. You know, I, I like to think that my maturity level is so great that I don't have too many flaws, but every time I get that way, my wife reminds me <laughs> that I'm grumpy, I'm speaking in unbelief, I lose my temper. One time I, 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 almost, I almost hit somebody in a restaurant and my wife says, Jack, stop it. So, so even me, have things I'm dealing with. Amen? But the good news is I can go to God every time. Lord, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Lord, I need some help. I need some grace here in my life. I need some favor in this life. And if I believe, I receive it and wait for it. God then will eventually manifest it in my life because that's what God does. Forgiveness is automatic the moment you place your faith in a promise. God begins to forgive you and restore you and restore the years that are flowing in your life. Amen? Turn to your neighbor right now and say, this has got to be for you. I'm sure of it. Hallelujah. I've seen you this way before. I'm so glad you came to church today. I'm going to sit next to you and pray for you. I want you to see something here at this point. Your identity is critical. If you have the wrong view of who you are in Christ, it will neutralize your faith. It'll make your faith ineffective and you won't feel like you can receive something from God that's freely offered. See, in the Bible, you see some types of this when you see, for instance, God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. It never went back to Abram. It was Abraham from that point on. Never changed. Once that identity was established by God, it never changed. Another thing that happened was with, uh, you, you take uh, Abram and Abraham. What about Jacob? His name was changed to Israel, which means one prevails with God and with man. The word Jacob means deceiver. He was a tricky guy. He was always tricking people. And you remember he got into the trouble that he got into in his life because he stole his brother's birthright. He went in and his father couldn't see because of the hot climate. They didn't have sunglasses back then. So his, his vision was hindered. And he went in there and acted like his brother to receive the inheritance. And his father said, what's your name? He said, oh, I'm Esau. He lied. So he gets the birthright. His brother gets so mad, he wants to kill him. So he flees for his life. But how many know that it eventually catches back up with you? Later, his brother comes looking for him with 400 men. 
It didn't sound like he just wanted to have lunch with him. It sounded like he wants to kill him. Doesn't it? Listen to what the text says. Put it up on the screen. Genesis. Then Jacob was left alone. He knows his brothers come with the 400 men. A man wrestled with him until the, the breaking of day. This is the angel of the Lord. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. What was he doing? He's revealing what he did in the past. He lied in the past. Now he's going to state who he is. I'm Jacob. Notice what it says. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, I want you to see this. What's so astounding about this text is that he wrestles all night with the Lord. And he tries to pin the Lord to get blessed. And, of course, you can't do it. The Lord touches his hip because he just won't quit. And then he says, well, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And then the Lord reveals to him, all right, what's your real name? Jacob. Soon as he owed up to what he had done, God blessed him and said, from now on, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. Now you're going to be called Israel. And from that point, he was always called Israel. But what's crazy about the story is uh, his brother with 400 men show up and they don't kill Jacob or Israel. And, and what they do is they reconcile. Now they're buds. And his brother says, hey, come on back to my place. And we'll have a feast. And, and I want to get to know your family and all that stuff. And all the time, Israel is still thinking like Jacob. He doesn't intend to go back with his brother. And he says, oh, you know, it's going to take me a while to get the stuff together to be able to go back and see you guys. And so you go, go on ahead. I'll catch up with you later. Brother said, well, let me leave some men to help you out. And he says, oh, we don't need it. We got all the men we have. And then Jacob intentionally deceived his brother again and went in a different direction to save his hide. Here's the point I want you to see. His identity never changed in God's eyes. Even when he went back to his old ways, he was still Israel. Even though he made the same stupid mistakes again, he was still Israel. Just like even when you make the same stupid mistakes over and over again, you're still an overcomer. Just because you mess up, you're still a child of God. Just because you screw up, you're still a child of God. You don't change. That doesn't change. And you see that particularly with the prodigal son. He goes to his father, can I have my inheritance ahead of time? Takes it, goes out and blows it on sin. Ends up feeding swine. And then he comes to his senses and says, you know, my father treats the servants better than the people I'm working for. I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. I'm going to just go back and say, hey, dad, just don't consider me a son anymore. I'm not worthy. But if you would give me a job working for you, I would gladly take it. He goes back, and do you think his father accepted his new identity? No, he rejected it. And he, said, and he called him his son. 
again and put a robe on him and a ring on his finger, killed the fatted uh, cow, praise God, called the neighbors, called the relatives, called the friends, called him out for a big party and blessed him because he was his son. As many as received Jesus become the sons and the daughters of God. Once you're a daughter, you're a daughter forever. Once you're a son, you're a son forever. Praise God. It don't matter whether or not you're with the pigs or not. What matters is Jesus Christ has made you a child of God. You are royalty. You are seated in heavenly places. You are blessed highly favored of God you are his offspring you've been given the great commission you've been given the purpose of serving him and following him all of his life and changing the world that you live in because you are a child of God and you know what I love about it is he loves me unconditionally unconditionally and my identity never changes if I got to go to my daddy my daddy's got the door open dad I messed up but I'm coming to you see the thing about the prodigal son that is so good that's so good in comparison to people who don't know God people that don't know God don't know where, where to go back to but people that have known God know where to go back to I need to go back to the house of God. I need to go back to God's presence. I need to go back to God's word. And there's such a blessingness to this. And God will not close the door in your life in any way, shape, or form. Now, I'm not preaching this so that you'll continue in sin. I'm preaching this so that you'll go to him for grace. And mercy so that you can overcome the things that are hindering your life and stopping you from the success. I think it was several years ago, I was in a service. It was actually before the service, a Wednesday night service. And the Lord spoke to me, and I love those times when He just speaks to me, and He says, I want you to preach more on my love. And of course, I don't like to teach on the love of God, I'd rather teach on something with violence, whatever, you know. But I remember that night I did. And I remember we had, on a Wednesday night service, we had 10 people come forward and get saved. And that's unusual on a Wednesday night because it's usually just church folk. But God wants you to know that you're not so far away, you can't come back. He wanted me to tell you that no matter how much you screwed up, no matter how many flaws you have, don't you stay out of the house of God. You come back, you keep seeking him, you keep seeking his favor, you keep putting your faith in it, and the faith in, the faith in God's word will begin to drive out those weaknesses in your life, and you will eventually give praise to God. Say, thank you, Father, thank you, Father, thank you, Father. That's what I wanted you to get from this truth. I think it's beneficial. You know, in Mark eleven twenty two 22, and or 23 and 24. It's one of my favorite verses, obviously. He said to his disciples, he says, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be plucked up and cast in the sea, and if he doubts it in his heart, but believe the words that he says, he shall have whatever he says. 
Therefore, when you pray, believe you receive. Believe you receive the things that you desire, and you shall have them. I love that text. You know why I love that text? It's because God believes in us when we don't believe in ourselves. Did you hear what I'm saying? God believes in you more than you believe in your own self. You don't believe you can do it, but God says, no, you can do it. I said you could do it. I said you could believe for this. I said you could overcome this. I said you could speak to the mountain. I said it would be removed. In other words, God has more faith in what you can do than what you have in yourself. And what's amazing about the text, it's not describing the Holy Spirit. It's not even describing Jesus. It's describing whosoever, talking about the church. He said, let me tell you what you can do. Let me tell you the potential that you have as a Christian. Let me tell you the mountains that you can move in your life. Let me tell you the prayer results you can get in your life. Let me tell you what you can do because most people don't believe they can. Most people feel good about climbing a mountain, not removing it. Well, I'm going to spend my life. I've been climbing that mountain all my life. God doesn't want you to climb it. He wants you to dissolve it. He don't want you to camp up halfway on it. He wants you to get rid of it. He wants you to get rid of the strife in your family. Get rid of the fatigue in your life. Get rid of the financial lack in your life. Get rid of the disease that follows in your life. He wants you to get rid of it completely in your life. He wants you to get rid of it. You have the potential to believe God that you'll get rid of it in your life. I mean, think about the power of what he just said in that thing. He said to speak unto the mountain. Tell it off. Why do Christians have a hard time telling off the mountain when you have no problem telling off the guy in the car next to you? <laughs> Isn't that right? I want you to tell it off. Lack, you're not going to destroy my family anymore. My family's not going to be in welfare anymore in my life. We're going to come out of that. And we, I'm going to be the first generation that gives an inheritance to my children's children. And I'm telling you off, lack. I'm telling you off, poverty. You're not going to be in my life anymore. Power in that. Power in that. And, and I, I love the fact that he tells us that and embraces us with it. And then he says, therefore... And I love what Brother Hagin used to say. When you see the word therefore, find out what it's there for. It's therefore, whatever things you pray or whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Oh, but pastor, it may not be the will of God. He's not talking about the will of God there. He's talking about your will. He said God's will indirectly is to meet your will in the majority of the things that you desire in your life. In other words, he's not saying what he wills. Jesus doesn't need what you desire in your life. He doesn't need it. The Bible makes it very clear if we delight ourselves in the Lord, the Lord should give us the desires of our hearts. Hallelujah. He doesn't care if you drive a Cadillac or if you drive a Volkswagen. He doesn't care if you live in a two-bedroom house in an apartment or a five-bedroom mansion. He doesn't really care. He says, whatever you want. Now, obviously, we can't desire someone else's wife. 
Anybody with half a brain can figure that one out. But all the rest is open for you. He says, listen, you're my child. What do you want? Here's how you do it. Believe you get it. Believe you got it before you see it. Believe you can have it before it's manifest. Believe you have it before you even see any evidence of it coming into your life. Believe you have it. Believe you have it. Believe you have it. Believe you have it. If you can hold on to having it long enough, that faith will cause me to manifest it in your life. And then you're going to give praise to God and say, if it wasn't for God, this wouldn't have happened. If it wasn't for God, he hadn't done it. If it wasn't for God, oh, my, 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 my. Now, always remember this. Whatever you say, you'll end up owning it. That's why it's so important what we say. Whatever you say, you're going to end up owning it. End up owning it. I'm going to give you a little tip if you're married. Your wife goes out shopping, puts on some clothes, comes out and says, Do I look fat? Don't answer. I said, don't answer, don't answer, don't answer, because whatever you say, you're going to own it. Well, a little bit fat. And then for the next 25 years, he says, I'm fat. That, yeah, he don't like, he said, I'm fat. And she'll tell your grandma, she'll tell your father, she'll tell your kids, she'll tell the relatives, and she'll probably tell people in church. So just, just remember, what you say, you end up owning. So I want to make sure that what I'm saying is what I want to own. You understand the humor of what I'm saying here. Now, I'm going to show you a verse that shows you that the desires in your heart are the byproduct of your relationship with God. Look at the verse. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In other words, God works within all of, all of our different desires. He influences desires to bring cures to diseases, desires to accomplish something that's not been accomplished before. I was studying about the guy that, that, in, that invented penicillin. Now, during the time that there wasn't penicillin, if a soldier got wounded or whatever, they usually died from infection. Imagine what your life could be like without penicillin or drugs like that. I was during that time, and this guy was a Christian. And by accident, he discovered penicillin that has saved millions and millions of lives. But he had a desire to work in this field. He had a desire that God had put in his life to do that. God uses your desires to accomplish his purpose in your life. Amen? Amen? Now, I'm going to give you an illustration here, a story, and we're going to close with this, of how this is worked out in your life. Amen? How, how do I really soar the way God wants me to soar? How do I believe and really hold on to what God's promised in the Word and see it happen? How do I do that? The story is told of a farmer. And this farmer was out in the field one day, and he was taking hay and throwing it in his wagon. So he's down there doing this, and he's doing this all day long, filling up his hay with, with uh, or filling up the wagon with all this hay, using the pitchfork. Well, he finally got done, and the, and the hay was very tall on the, on the wagon. So he gets up on the wagon, but he's exhausted. He's been doing this all day long, and he's an elderly gentleman. And so he's sitting there, and the horses have been kind of in a sleep or slumber, Anyway, he gets them going, and he falls asleep sitting on the, 
on the chair of the wagon. And so the horses just start going where they want to go. And they, they, they started going over this one path, and they got too close to a big tree right there and banged into the tree. And at the time they banged into the tree, there was a little eagle, a little tiny eagle, baby eagle, fell out of the nest and landed on top of the hay. So the farmer didn't notice it first, and so it wakes him up, and he takes the horses, gets them on track. They go back to the barn, and he started to take the hay off the wagon, and he looks, and sure enough, there's a little eagle on the top of the hay. He knows if he leaves it out in the woods, coyote or something will kill it. So he says, all right, the best chance I have, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that bird, and I'm going to put it with my birds. And his birds were chickens. So he puts this eagle in the chicken den there with the fence around or whatever. But the problem with the, with the chicken and, a, and an eagle is an eagle has a bigger beak. Chickens sound different than eagles. Chickens are... Eagles are more... Pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah. And he had this big beak. And so the eagles, he, didn't, he was following their examples. And they were trying to eat the insects from the ground. And because they had the smaller beak, it was easy for him. But for the eagle, he's banging down and boom, boom, you know. And they come out of the chicken coop going, bah, 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 and he's going, ah, ah. So there was a division between the eagle and the chickens. Didn't feel comfortable. Ever been with unbelievers and felt weird? Especially when they didn't know you were a Christian? And they're acting a certain way and whatever, and you're thinking, oh man, this, this is terrible. This is terrible. You felt like, see, we may be in the world, but we're not of the world. That's what his ego was. And he's trying to follow their example because he doesn't have an example. His mom is up in a tree somewhere, he's by himself. So he tries to follow the example of the chickens, but it's not working out. In fact, he's going without food because a lot of the chickens started picking on him because he was so weird looking. And they would come over and take the food from him until one of the mother hens saw it and, and said, this ain't going to happen. And she protected him and made sure he ate. And so this is how he rose up. He didn't feel like the rest of them, but yet he was trying to act like the rest of them. Until one day there was a full-grown eagle flew over the nest or the chicken coop and saw one of his descendants down there. So he flies down and lands right next to him and he realizes this is a baby eagle. No one's taught him how to fly. So he takes him and throws him on his back. That's how they train him. Flies up thousands of feet up in the air and the little eagle's going, man, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. And then he turns over, drops that little eagle off. But the problem is he was raised with chickens. I don't know how to fly. And he's tumbling down to the earth, just tumbling down to the earth. And the eagle sees him, man, if I don't do something about this, he's going to splatter. Puts his wings out straight, goes straight down there, gets back under him, takes him up, and they go through this process where he takes him up. And he's learning from the mature eagle. 
that believes he can do it even though he don't believe it yet he's learning because he's watching him until he eventually begins to fly like that older eagle it's the same way with Jesus Jesus swoops into our lives and we don't know how to fly we've been with the chickens too long we've been plucking on the ground too long we don't know how to soar we don't know how to believe but yet we get around Jesus and Jesus takes us up say, all right here we go I'll drop you and he swoops down and picks us back up and we go at it again. And then until we realize it's really pretty simple, just straighten out your wings, praise God, and let the wind catch it. And God's going to take you up high in your life. Can you say amen, everybody? You are eagles. We're around a lot of chickens. The thing about faith is all you have to do is believe. It's simple. It's not complicated. It's not hard. The reason why people waver in faith is because they try to explain every aspect of the Bible before they believe. Just believe. Just believe. That's all you got to do. Just believe. Jairus went to Jesus about his daughter. She was sick. Jesus said, I'll come and lay hands on her and she'll be healed. And by the time he got on the way to his daughter's house, she had died. And they came and said, don't bother the master, your daughter has died. And you know what Jesus said to him? He said, be not afraid, only believe. Don't try to worry and have faith at the same time, just believe. Don't try to figure it out, just have faith. Just have faith. And I know a lot of you are in that boat here today. You've come with needs in your life. And all I'm simply saying is get a promise of God concerning your need in your life. Receive it in your heart right now and hold on to it all day. Say, I got it. 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 I'm going to hold on to it like you hold on to your wallet. It's in here. Praise God. This is my needs in here. I believe I've got the answer. It's right here. And walk around with it and hold fast to it. And the Bible says if you do that, Eventually, God will materialize it in your life. Believe you've got what it takes to do it today. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.